Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. Valentine's Day is coming up and Mother's Day around the corner, and our thoughts are turning to flowers. When you're buying flowers, do you think about where they come from? Do you care if they're organic? Do you know that there's a revolution underway in the flower industry today? We've invited our friend Tara Cola, founder of Silver Lake Farms, to help us better understand the world of cut flowers and what's at stake when you choose a bouquet for your mom or your sweetheart. Hello, Tara. Welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Eric. Hey, great to have you on finally. Thank you so much for having me. Tara, um, you are what is called a farmer florist, a job title that we're not familiar with. Can you describe what a farmer florist is? A farmer florist, it's a relatively new term, I would say. It's just a couple of years old. Um, And it's really, um, this term came about because there are more and more young farmers who are growing their own flowers and designing with them. So they're like chefs who have their own farm. Is it like that? Pretty much. That's a really good um, analogy. Um, yeah, you're, you're working with your own product. So it's a matter of uh, its aesthetics, I assume. Well, yes. As a, as a farmer florist, um, I would, I, I pretty much I'm designing when I'm looking at seed catalogs. I, I would think about the palette that I want. I also want to tune into what's happening in the fashion world. Um, the, the new Pantone color for 2015 <laughs> is Marsala, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> and it's almost like the color of your dress. Which is like a berry color. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a wine mm. color, uh, but it's beautiful. It's sort of a brownie, bricky wine. It's gorgeous, and I have ranunculus growing in that color, so I'm super excited about that. But yeah, you're designing when you're selecting your, your bulbs, your seed, your corms, and, uh, and then when they actually bloom, you can just pick and design. Whereas your average florist uh, deals with a more standardized palette. You got your roses, you got your baby's breath, you got your gladiolas. <laughs> your average florist would go downtown to the wholesale mart and uh, they'll, they'll not know what's in season because everything is available because the majority of it is shipped in from some, uh, somewhere else, so a uh, southern uh, hemisphere country. What makes this kind of unusual is that you were in Los Angeles as the second biggest city in America and you're a flower farmer in LA. How are you making that work? <laughs> it's it's a challenge. Um, it's, it's a cute story. Um, but beneath that cute story is a lot of sweat and, uh, and back aches and, um, and tears. It's, it's bloody hard w- work. But the beautiful thing about Los Angeles is that there's a, a real movement of local supporters. There are a lot of people that care about organic and care about local, so that's wonderful. And the climate here is phenomenal. I could, if I had more space, pretty much grow flowers, produce flowers uh, 12 months of the year. I want to get back to your operation later because it's a really interesting story. But tell us a little more about why... Why should we care about flowers? I mean, why, why shouldn't I just go down to Trader Joe's and get cheap flowers? Well, where do the flowers at Trader Joe's come from? 
Well, they come from a couple of different places. Trader Joe's has been great about promoting California grown. Um, you will see flowers in Trader Joe's that have this, the, the license plate that says Cagrone, um, which is great. Um, but you'll get your standard, you know, tulips, daffodils, Gerber daisies. The, they also have a lot of, um, I was just there the other day checking, <laughs> and they have flowers from Ecuador and uh, some other, Colombia, I believe. So um, a lot of our flowers that we find um, in supermarkets and in florist shops are grown in South America these days, right? Yeah, that came about, um, that's been happening since 1991, actually. And what happened in 1991 that made that? Um, the um, Andean Free Trade Agreement, um, where the federal government um, wanted, in, in their, uh, as part of their strategy for the war on drugs, um, I, my understanding is that the the Andean countries that were some of the farmers that were growing coca for cocaine um, were given subsidies to stop growing coca and to start growing something else. Flowers was the thing. And um, it became over, over time detrimental to the American cut flower industry. So prior to 1991, if you bought flowers in America, they were American-grown. American grown. Yeah. Um, now and now they're being flown in. Oh my goodness! Like well, By like our, our the produce cargo plane. There are something like thirty cargo planes a week coming out of Andean countries to Miami and Los Angeles, um, just full of flowers. And there are only uh, how many truck? There are only a few trucks leaving California filled with flowers, and there's about ten to twenty trucks fit on a cargo plane. <laughs> So what's the percentage? Like maybe eighty percent or yeah, eighty so? percent. If you, it, it's a rough number. But if you go to the Los Angeles flower, uh, wholesale flower mart um, downtown, I, I think eighty percent is from Andean countries. And what's wrong with those Andean flowers, <laughs> other than well, it being part of the drug war? Well, <laughs> um, well, I've I've not been to any of these farms, so I've not seen firsthand. But um, I have heard from friends who are in the floral design industry that because of the pesticides and the chemicals that they use to, you know, as, as pesticides in these countries, uh, that the floral designers are finding that they need to wear gloves when they're handling the product because of the mercury and uh, rashes that, that um, some of them have experienced. And one would presume the workers are maybe not oh treated as well either, right? Well, the so... The, I don't know, but I can only imagine that the workers in Colombia don't get paid what I pay my people. And um, and also, I think that they probably have to inhale some of this stuff. I hope that they're being... I'm sure that there are companies who are taking care of making sure that the right um, safety clothing is being worn and, and masks, and you know, I'm sure they're doing the right thing, but still the fact that they're spraying this stuff. Going back to the issue of organics, it's, it's, it is shocking to think that the floral designers have to use gloves to do their work. We always think of um, what is more genteel than arranging a bouquet of flowers, and, and now it's become some sort of industrial process where you need protective gear and OSHA is going to have to step in. <laughs> but what is, what is also concerning is that then these flowers come into your home 
and you may rearrange them, and you will do that without protective gear. And, and of course, your dosage is smaller than people who work with it all day long, so maybe you won't feel the effects right away. But many of us care about organic produce, and we wouldn't eat things which were sprayed. But it seems that we just don't think about flowers. It's like there's something else that we don't have to worry about because maybe because they're flowers and they have a good rep or something, you know, but but actually, you know, they're coming into our homes dipped in pesticides, basically, and we are touching them. We are sticking our nose in them. Um, children are playing with them. Um, our cats might be nibbling on them, you know, so these are these are serious concerns. It's it's good reason to go organic. Absolutely. Now, how, where do you find organic flowers? Like, what what is the market like for organic flowers? Well, um, a lot of um, I'm I'm a I have a stand at the Hollywood Farmers Market on Sundays, and, um, and when I'm in season, and uh, the the customers there who understand already understand local and organic, and they'll buy their vegetables at the market and they'll buy their flowers too. Um, I've always said, um, you know, it's not what you put on the plate. It's, what, it's about what you put on the table and it's about what you put in your home. It's, it's about everything. Um, it's not just what you mm-hmm. put in your body, right? Um, so I think that over time I've found that more and more people understand that flowers are locally farmed or can be locally farmed as well as the food. Um, but I, I found also in the in the last ten years of doing this that it's been a lot slower the the, um, the, the, the take up rate or whatever the people understanding that it's just as important to buy local and organic when it comes to flowers as it is to food. Mm, yeah, it, I, I can see that um, the slow take up. I, I have to admit that I actually hadn't really thought of it at all. I really until we met you, and then we were like, oh. Local organic flowers. Who knew? You know, and and it's an odd, it's one of those odd wake up things. I think that some things we just take for granted and we need to be slapped upside the head before (laughs) we realize that this is important too, you know, and we, you just have to step up and, uh, and think about that. So I hope, I mean, this, uh, you know, we're in Los Angeles and so this is helpful for Angelinos, but I'm assuming that across the nation, Wherever you look, hopefully you'll be able to find a, a local grower, perhaps through your farmer's market or through a co-op or a CSA. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's not 100% saturation, but you know you have a sense of your peers out there. Yeah. And, and so you, th- I think that um, I think that there are a lot more local uh, local growers, flower growers. Um, I think that. Flower farmers are farmers too, <laughs> and and it's it's we're still in the business of agriculture, and it's still there's still a lot of challenges, and it's still really a, hard work. And I think that for flower farmers, it's been a little tough to have an equal seat on the table of agriculture, mm. and to have a voice that's heard equally along with food farmers. So there's a bit of a challenge there, but I think that that challenge. Is, is becoming less of a challenge because there are more and more very small family flower farmers that are emerging now. Before we roll tape, you actually said something about that. You said some of your customers don't really realize that flowers are grown on farms. They think they're maybe gathered by 
Well, my customers get it, um, but but I but when I talk to new people that I meet and make acquaintances, and I'm a, I say I'm a flower farmer, and I what that what huh? <laughs> you know because I don't think people as think about where f- flowers come from. I don't think they understand that they're farmed just like anything else in a row in a field. And then backing up to the farmer's market, too, a lot of farmer's market flower sellers are going to be getting their flowers from the market downtown, right? Or or are they supposed to be growing it themselves? Well, at farmer's markets, at a certified farmer's market, when you're in the certified producer's area, you can only sell what you grow. Um, if you're in some other part of the market, then yeah, you'll be buying them from downtown and reselling them. Those are what I call peddlers. So I think that's the <laughs> technical term for it. Um, but um, yeah, a lot of um, the retail shops, they're just going downtown and buying stuff and reselling it. Um, but if you're, a flower, if you're a farmer, yeah, you're, you're a, a, the farmer's market makes the most sense because also as a flower farmer, I'm not going to have a bricks and mortar shop. Um, I get asked a lot, uh, where's your shop? I'm like, I, I'm, I don't have a shop because I have a farm. Like, you can't do both. <laughs> you just yeah. can't do both. Now, what sort of conversations do you have with the farmer's market customers about, we were talking about organics and the difference between your flowers and, and you know, flowers you get at the supermarket. Are there, can you recall any conversations you've had with customers about these issues? I have the best time at the Hollywood farmer's market. It, it is so phenomenal. The people, the response that my fl- that that I get for my flowers, people are fabulous at the Hollywood Farmers Market. I don't I don't have any weird conversations. It's all about, you know, they they just step back. They're like, this is so pretty, and they just want them, and they just want to lie in them and like <laughs> sleep in them, and 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 it's it's nothing but positive and fabulous. It's really amazing, and and I don't do anything. It's like it's got nothing to do with me. It's just what they're responding to, and they're responding to natural, fresh flowers. Yeah, I think we should say, I mean, um, this is where uh, podcasting is a limitation. Tara's bouquets don't look like normal bouquets. <laughs> and I say that in, in a positive way. Um, they, sh- they look, uh, they have a wild look to them. They um, are very... Oh, I don't. I don't know. They're kind of fairy-like. They have. Uh, I mean, they're. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about those kind of standard flowers. Like, uh, you just troop off to the florist and get yourself a dozen roses. You know, and, and these are not like that. They're um, seasonal. So all your. You know, depending on what time of year you you visit Tara, you'll see an entirely different palette of flowers, mm-hmm. most of which I cannot name. <laughs> but unusual shapes, beautiful colors and textures, you know, all put together in these loose, wonderful bouquets with full of little delicate flowers that you wouldn't see in a supermarket or a florist because they don't ship, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very much like local, um, you know, eating locally, eating local produce, like eating berries that don't ship, that are only, you know, are only in season for two weeks a year and they can't travel, like our loquats or something like that. Mulberries. Mulberries. Thing, yeah. So it's very much like artisanal eating. Um, and it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a feast for the senses. They are, are beautiful. And so when people do come up and, and Tara describes them as being shocked, it, it's true because you've not seen 
bouquets that look like this. And it's and I think that that's really wonderful, that kind of um, reinvigorating of the senses that is similar also to eating well, you know, eating artisanally and locally and, and discovering flavors that you've never discovered before. Like I didn't know a strawberry could taste so good until I had one you know, fresh off the land. Um, in the same way, you don't know that flowers can look so good um, if all you've ever seen are super, super daisies <laughs> and supermarket bouquets. Yeah. You know, so it, it is. Um, I think it's just another piece of the puzzle, yeah. a piece of the the local organic yeah. puzzle that we're trying to put together to make the world better. Now there is um, there is. Uh, good things going on. There's, I didn't know this until today when Tara showed us a book called The 50 Mile Bouquet. So speaking of like, you know, the 100 mile diet and all that. So this, uh, this woman is named Deborah Prinzing, who wrote The 50 Mile Bouquet. Wonderful woman. Can you tell us about this movement? She, um, Deborah uh, went across the country and um, talked to um, and and shot some beautiful um, photographs of um, flower farmers and really brought to light um, f- family farms, small farmers who are growing flowers, and they call it the slow flower movement because they're selling locally. They Some of them are certified organic. Um, they're growing in open-air field production, so everything's kind of natural, seasonal. And um, that's the movement that Deborah has been um, you know, the, an ambassador for. And um, this is a movement uh, that is uh, populated by younger farmers coming in, or there, there are there are a few. This is what's interesting. A couple of years ago, I went to a convention called uh, the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers in in Tacoma, and um, at the time, I was very honored to be part of a very small group of thirty something. Um, flower farmers, young young ladies who are new to the biz. Like I'm not thirty something. <laughs> I won't say what, but <laughs> and and so it was. You, you look thirty something. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks, Eric. So so it was nice to be part of that group. And now I'm hearing they they had another convention recently in Washington, and I understand that there were more flower farmers, more young ladies, and the movement is just really getting a lot of traction. There's a lot more flower farmers out there. So they must be finding their markets, absolutely, which is, yeah. which is wonderful. Well, the, there are floral designers who absolutely get it, who mm-hmm. want to support local. It's just that you know it's very hard to compete with the price points when stuff is grown in a mass volume. Uh, workers aren't paid as much as you have to pay them in America, especially mm-hmm. Los Angeles, and and you know it's hard to compete with the price point. So I always have to explain my price point to my retail clients mm-hmm. um they're like well i can get it cheaper downtown and i'm like yeah but you're supporting your neighbor you know mm-hmm. I, these these are people in the community that want to do this it's a very unusual gig for la um and people there are horticulturists in los angeles and to have a gig where you're growing flowers on a very small scale um but commercially is like a super gig Mm-hmm. It's it's really hard work, but it's a super gig. Um, the end product makes you just makes it all worth it. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a it's a challenge, but it's one that it's still taking a lot of educating. I can imagine, you know, a, a, you know, a, a bride putting together the budget for her wedding, and then finding out that how much more the the flowers are, and then needing to make that decision. Or worse, a cheap husband. (laughs) (laughs) 
We're naming no names. <laughs> but but, but the, thing, we, the we, thing about dealing with a flower farmer directly mm-hmm. is, um, you know, I, I can only speak for myself and I may charge, may have to charge more, but ultimately I'm going to add more flowers to the bucket mm-hmm. because I want the customer to be happy and I want my flowers to find a home. There's um, a relationship. There's there. a relationship. And I, you know, it's just, it's a, I think most farmers you'll find are generous people by mm. nature, by heart. They're not in it for the money. No. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, you can't put a price to some of this stuff, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's what I choose to do for a living, but, um, and I do have to make a living. But if somebody can only afford so much, rather than ask them for more money, I'll just give them more flowers and just make mm-hmm. sure I can get paid. Yeah, and then as consumers on our end, you know, we have our responsibilities, you know, to think about where our food and our flowers come from, and and I mean, I know I do that. You, you know, if our egg, if our chickens aren't producing, then I want to buy pasture raised eggs, and those babies are like a dollar a piece, and that's just the way it is because that's an ethical stance that you've made. It might mean that we eat fewer eggs, or it might mean that we buy fewer flowers, or but when we do. You know, I want to buy. I want to buy things that support the community right. uh, and support the environment. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're gonna you you feel good about buying your eggs from a local farmer, mm-hmm. right? And it's the same with flowers. Like knowing that you're supporting a a, a really small agriculture industry in Lo- in the city of Los Angeles. I mean, I I don't know that kind of yeah. It feels good. Yeah, it feels good to uh, yeah to help your neighbors. Super cool, I think. So that's that's like an invisible factor. You know, things don't always come down just to dollars and cents. You You're know. creating a job pool. Here, yeah, you know, yeah. there are people, there are young people that um, might not be able to find the jobs that they want. But and horticulture and agriculture is is a is now a, a bona fide um, avenue. It's a it's a resource. I think you have a lot of young people coming through Silver Lake Farms, learning the trade, don't you? Yeah, they volunteer. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of young people that volunteer because I can't afford to, you know, pay. I have one full time person, and um, and she went through the Julia is her name Julia Thrift, and she went through the. UCLA horticulture license, uh, I think it's a license, a certificate, horticulture certificate extension program. Mm. And um, I mean, she said, she, you know, it's a dream gig. Speaking of gigs, we should talk about how you got started with this gig. Exactly. But because it's audio first, I think we need to ask you, you're an immigrant to this country. From the no, accent. I'm a U.S. citizen. I was you born are. here. You were yeah. so the the accent. You lived in in Britain for a yeah, while. Yeah, right? I grew. I was there from the age of twelve till twenty seven. Okay, got that out of the way. <laughs> um, so at, at a certain point, uh, you decided to start a flower farm in the heart of Los Angeles. How did you get that idea? Well, it, it, I had no idea that I was going to do this. We basically, um, I met my husband, and we were we we went living together so we decided we would buy a house we looked at this place we had no idea how how much land it had you couldn't tell because it was really overgrown and so um we were lucky enough to be selected from a pool of bids they picked ours we got the house it turns out it has half an acre 
It's a it's a strange property with kind of a your lot sort of triangular. Is that it's a flag shape? It's lot. like a flag shape. Yeah. It, from the front, it looks like it has no yard at all, right. and but then it has a, kind of like a long skinny yard, basically yeah. going back. It's a field at the back there. Yeah. So um, and I don't know, man. I was just standing there thinking that uh, no, just thinking about how much it would cost to maintain it. Mm. And so the idea was a very rational, logical one that's got to pay for itself. So it's got to produce something. And I like that kind of thinking. <laughs> so, we have producers, not consumers. Uh, yeah, otherwise you're just, it's just a bottomless pit of money. Yeah, paying. if it were a lawn and you would have to bring oh, in yeah, people. No. Would, oh uh, and half an acre, you could we play don't croquet have, on. <laughs> there's no grass on yeah. any of this half acre. It's all mulched. It's fruit tree production, berry production, cut flowers, perennials. Yeah. So there's no, it's all productive, the entire half acre of it. What were you doing when you moved in professionally? I was a publicist. All right. I had a little PR boutique. But somehow the idea of farming was more appealing than being a publicist? Why, well, why was that? Well, um, you know, it was right after 9-11. Hmm. I was sitting right here in this room at a little TV, and I watched that happen, and I just knew that the world wasn't going to be the same. And at the time with my job, I used to represent... Um, billion-dollar media corporations in Europe. Canal Plus was one of them. FlexTech was another. And, um, and I had to read, you know, about five national papers a day just to stay on top of what the news was. Anyway, um, I just decided that instead of focusing on what was going on around there, I was just going to focus on what was going on immediately around me. And that meant this half acre. And, and it all, all these, you know, the notion that it had to pay for itself, the notion that what was local mattered more change had to happen right in your own backyard literally Um, because there's stuff out there we can't control and um anyway so uh i um i just took did a soil test oh i went to school to pierce which is a agriculture school and just changed just to completely made a a change like a hundred percent change in everything did you consider growing vegetables and selling them I too? I did, yeah. And I, why didn't was, you decide to do that? Because uh, I had my soil tested, something that I learned at that Pierce. I uh, had a soil test, and I had an uncomfortable amount of lead in the soil. Mm, just like us. <laughs> so, um, Welcome well, to Los Angeles. It's, yeah, it's very important <laughs> to test soil, um, especially for edibles in the cities, mm. yeah. Anyway, so... I had an uncomfortable amount of lead and, and uh, went down to the Silver Lake Farmer's Market and uh, noticed that there weren't any flowers much. So I started off as a sweet pea grower. I had 19 rows of sweet peas. I, had, I counted them. I think it was like 2,000 plants. I have a, it's in my book somewhere here. <laughs> I think this was around about when I first met you. Yeah, when you were doing and, um, the, the um, homegrown. Yeah, when, well, when we were writing our book. Mm-hmm. Well, you were in our first book. Come to think of it, mm-mm, mm-mm. no, no. <laughs> we, we we cut you out. You we interviewed. We... <laughs> I think we interviewed. We interview... Oh no, no. I we interviewed you for a magazine article. That must have yeah. been what it was. Yeah, it was but Urban Farm Magazine. It, now, why sweet peas, though? Oh, because they're so beautiful. Um, they're just so pretty. I was inspired by this lady in um, in Maine. Her name is Sue Keating, and she. she I saw this article in Garden Design Magazine and just thought how pretty these flowers were. I don't know. It was just crazy. It just came to my head and I just <laughs> decided I would just go with it. And 
you decide, okay, well, I'm going to grow sweet peas yeah. and I'm going to sell them at the farmer's market. Yeah. And what was the reaction when you first showed up there with your sweet peas? Well, I had nine bunches. I made $45. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and people thought I was crazy. They're like, oh, what are these? What, what are you doing here? What, what are they? What, what's, what is this? And um, I, have to, I have to admit, though, it was like, I think I must have cried about five times because there's this other flower vendor and people would look at my stuff, not take it seriously and go and buy his flowers. And they'd be walking <laughs> past me with all these bunches of flowers. I'd be like, oh, no, what am I doing? I'm such a loser. And um, <laughs> But my flowers are pretty. So, um, yeah, and then it just, it just grew. Well, how did what what was the shift then? At a certain point, they started buying your flowers and passing the other dude, right? Yeah, I think you know what happened. It was um, the L.A. Times did an article a couple of years later. So, two thousand and four was my first year at the Silver Lake Farmers Market, and then I think a couple of years later there was this full on article. And um, I mean, thanks to the L.A. Times, man, that took off. And then what happened? You had a lot of customers. Yeah, it just it became a, a thing, and pe- people loved it. People loved it because we, you know, I had a whole, I have a whole setup at the market where everything's about the display. My rule is no white buckets, and so uh, we we make bouquets on the spot. So you know, you it's a thing. Well, you have these really beautiful wrought iron, you had custom-made yeah. wrought iron kind of holders, and there's glass in them. It's, it's very, very beautiful. Bon we'll chic, I we'll put some pictures in the show notes for this <laughs> so people can see it. Yeah, they're steel carriers. We designed them. It was, it was all about um, you know, ease of harvest, something that I could harvest right into, bung it on the truck, take it to market, and bung it on a shelf, and boom, you know, like reduce as much labor as possible. But then there was a slight bump in the road, uh-huh. right? Uh, which was this, well, it turned out that growing flowers in a Los Angeles backyard and reselling them was illegal. Right, yeah, it was, it was strange. It ended up becoming a blessing, though. But what happened was it, it's, um, it was an old um, civil code um, that was written in 1946 that allowed truck farming or truck gardening, as they called it then, so truck gardening is where you, you, whatever excess vegetable production you have in your backyard, you can, again, bung it on the back of the truck, take it off site and sell it. Vegetables. Vegetables, but not right. flowers. And so, so it didn't specifically say flowers. And I guess what I was doing, especially the attention that I was getting from the media, made my neighbors nervous. And so they questioned the law and the law was interpreted that it doesn't specifically say flowers so you can't sell them off-site and it also didn't say fruit it also didn't say fruit Fruit or nuts yeah or anything but vegetables and i remember i was at a meeting with you and the planner and this came up and this word truck farming do you remember this conversation we had with the planner and you asked him well what's truck farming and well, well, I, well, the conversation that I remember the most that really sticks in my mind was having a meeting with um, city planners, um, building and safety inspectors, and they said, um, well, it's, you know, you can't, they're not flowers, so you can't sell them. I said, well, they're not flowers. They're not flowers. Okay, so what do you think broccoli is? 
What do you think cauliflower is? It's a flower. So if you're going to allow broccoli and cauliflower, you need to allow flowers or you have to ban cauliflower and broccoli because they're flowers. <laughs> so, you know, and a, and a tomato is a fruit. So is a pepper. So is a cucumber. So, you know, botanically speaking. So, so we were having this sort of semantics arg- argument going back and forth. <laughs> and I remember someone saying, well, why don't we change the definition of truck farming in Wikipedia? Maybe you said this. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Right, right, right. And then right. it would be yeah. all okay. Yeah. But you talked a little bit about 9-11 earlier and about doing things at a local. And one of the positive things that came out of this is a group of people came together, Shelley Marks and you and a and bunch you. of Glenn Dakes and Glenn Dake and a couple other people. And... Um, they all, and you, it was a lot of work, but you changed the law. Yeah, Tell me we, about we did. that. Um, we, I have to say that um, thanks to Eric Garcetti, who's now our mayor, which is fantastic, so uh, an urban grower himself and his wife Amy, um, so yeah, he, he was on board. It, it really wasn't that difficult to convince him because he's a smart man, <laughs> and, um, and it made sense. And um, so... Yeah, it didn't. It only took a year, but as a group, we had all the necessary discussions and went through all the different stages um, with the planning department um, and uh, city council, and um, yeah, building and safety. And what what now is legal? Just so your listeners know, in the city of Los Angeles, is you can now grow fruit, flowers, vegetables on a residential zone. You can have one employee who can work outside because before nineteen, before this, uh, in the code, you couldn't have a worker work outside, only inside. So you can now have one one employee working outside, and you can now have one customer per hour who visits you outside. So all of this, you can sell your your fruit, your flowers, your vegetables off-site. So you can't sell it on-site, but who would want to do that anyway? And, um, yeah, so that's the new law. So, essentially, urban farming is now legal in the city of Los Angeles since 2010. Thanks to you guys. And it's, it's called the Food and Flowers Freedom Act, yeah. which always kind of cracked me up. <laughs> I think freedom. that was my only contribution. <laughs> <laughs> I like throwing the word freedom around, right? Because freedom flowers. That, that was a funny thing, because who could oppose freedom right. and flowers and food? And it, it really did lead to a lot of positive stuff. So after that happened, now now you're legal, and then what happened? You have the backyard, and at a certain point, you need to expand your operation. Well, so then, yeah. then what happened? Well, what happened was, unfortunately, um, I had just um, secured a, a second growing ground at, at the Paramore Estates, thanks to Dana Hollister. And unfortunately, because of the, the law, because of the shutdown, I had to let that go, because I couldn't just, I couldn't farm it with, you know, I, I don't have the time or the you know, income to work for free. So I, I had to let that go. And, but luckily, a fabulous family, Andrew and Laura, they stepped forward and they said, um, hey, would you like to grow on our land in Glassell Park? And I said, sure. So I had to start it from scratch. I couldn't do too much until the law had changed officially. So literally... On 2010, we went from a, a posse. I think you were one of them. We went from City Hall. We, we heard the gavel go, 
and it was law, unanimously voted in, flowers illegal. We went straight from City Hall to the Grand Ground and broke ground. It was awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and tell me a little more about that, that land, because it's, it's, it, it's, you know, Los Angeles is full of these unusual sort of hillside areas, even though it's very dense here. Mm. Surprisingly, there's, there are a few open spaces. Why don't you describe that land and, and what you then had to, had to do there? Because it wasn't just plug and play. Oh, no way. Oh, my goodness, no. I mean, it's clay there, and it was dense. And um, the, the, um, we had to get a tractor tiller, and it did not even bite. It was just skidding over the surface. So I ended up having to get a bulldozer. So it was a lot of, and hiring somebody, because uh, my husband works on film, so he's never around. <laughs> and, um, and so I had to hire somebody to uh, get the, the bulldozer in and basically bulldozer, out, you know, bucket out the beds. And then um, a Crown Disposal donated 75 tons of compost. So this was all back in 2010. And um, the back came the bucket loader and, you know, working in the compost in the beds and shaping the beds and then finally planted them. I remember going there and seeing how hard that soil was and thinking to myself and not saying to you that I don't think this is going to work. (laughs) I mean, I was literally thinking you're going to have to use explosives to get this working. Yeah. So the compost really, that's your... That was the secret, well, the or what first, else did so you So I didn't do? have cash crops that first season. All I did was throw in um, broom corn and sunflowers. So, you know, plants with nice, deep tap roots and um, lots of biomass um, in the root system and just planted the whole thing out with that mostly. And um, so then we cut them down, turned them in, and you should see the soil now, Eric. It is like black fluffy beauty it doesn't even feel like clay it's gorgeous and then you say actually before we were rolling too you were talking about some things you had to learn out there about climate change in the state right so how how has that affected your operation there and what have you learned about how to deal with 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 climate change well um so now for this season just because it's so much warmer now in october and even bits of november that we've had to start our stahats later, which means that's going to mess me up for Valentine's Day or Mother's Day, and it puts, sets me back. So now to stay on schedule to have flowers for Valentine's Day, now I'm mulching the beds with coffee chaff. I never usually mulch my beds because I plant densely, uh, and it adds a layer of labor. So now I'm mulching with coffee chaff, and um, I've got hoops over all the beds using 60% aluminate. Which is a shade cloth. Yeah, 60% though. 60% shade because our sun is so intense yeah, here. Yeah, it's intense. And so the trick with ranunculus and anemones is you really need to keep the root system as cool as possible for as long as possible. Uh, so it's vernalization really, right? So there are they're, uh, they're crops that like the weather of spring. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? They want to yeah. grow in the cool, yeah. cool, wet spring. Yeah. And we so, don't have so much of that here. Right. No. <laughs> and so, but so here's what I'm doing also is I got these really, really expensive corms for what they call Japanese ranunculus. So these are these massive flowers are gorgeous. And the floral designers just go gaga over them. And, and they sell for like $10 a stem downtown. Well, so I got some <laughs> corms and thanks to Gage over at Spruce, 
She's fantastic. Spruce is a uh, local uh, florist. Yeah, bricks and mortar floral uh, uh, floral shop. And um, so Gage, um, so we're buddies, and sh- she was a supporter of our CSA program. She's great in supporting locals. She's originally from New York. Anyway, um, so uh, she said that I could use her cooler. So now we've put the corms in vermiculite and popped them into her cooler, into her walk-in for two weeks to force them to, to replicate. It's called ventilization. And um, and then I'm going to put them out. Make wait till they've rooted, and then put them out in starts, and then grow them on in the field. That's exciting. Yeah, it is super beautiful. exciting. But gosh, what what a lot of um, workarounds. Well, that's gonna, the thing. That's it's the farming. future. Farming is a lot of work. So well, that's as if it weren't enough work to begin with, with enough uncertainty and disaster, and now climate change. Right. Right. You right, know, right. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Like how pushing the schedule interferes with those. With your sales days. Those sales days. I don't, you know, I don't even think about that. You know, so we can't move Valentine's Day a month. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> that's rough. You yeah. know, and then meanwhile, the, the pernicious pesticide-laden South American flowers are coming in by the plane oh, load. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, it's so difficult. <laughs> but we will soldier on. Yeah. We will do the right thing. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely worth it. Mm. Yeah. With the, what we can grow, it's... You were talking earlier, asking me earlier about what the flowers are like, and it's very—they're very, they're very um, dainty, yes. textural, um, antique-looking, mm-hmm. um, like Jane Austen's bouquet. Yeah, yeah they're, the, very they're just very, very precious, but but tough. Mm-hmm. So the, these flowers will last a week in the vase at least, um, as long as you know to change the water every day, keep them away from ripening fruit, <laughs> don't put them in direct sunlight. Ripening know. fruit? Yeah. What? Well, ripening fruit gives off ethylene. Yes. And so... Um, I didn't know that affected flowers. Yeah, yeah. So you don't put your fruit bowl, your your bouquet next to your fruit bowl on no, your counter. Not citrus or really? bananas. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We learn something every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've solved the legal problems uh-huh. and the farming problems. You're growing flowers in Los Angeles. What's the kind of on the next horizon for, for you and Silver Lake Farms? Well, my big goal for this year is to actually get some weddings. So I am uh, talking to a young lady about joining Silver Lake Farms as a partner. And she has um, incredible experience in the floral design world, retail and design. And so thanks to her, I'll be able to focus on the field production and focus on what I'm best at, which is production um, and uh, let people who, who who excel at things, let them excel at what they're good at, you know. So um, I'm hoping that she will help me crack some weddings. Oh, yeah. I want to see brides marching down the aisle with, with Tara bouquets in their hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, looking back on all this more than 10 years now, uh, anything that you would – do you see it differently now than you did when you began, and, and how so? Well, uh, there's one thing I was just thinking this week um, over at the Growing Ground that I had originally designed the Growing Ground to be meandery and pretty, and now I just wished I'd done a whole bunch of straight rows <laughs> <laughs> and really, you know, really like been. But it, it was, it's a little austere, is that the right word, to have these straight rows? There's nothing interesting about it. So I have, what I have is a, is a field that's producing, but it's also interesting looking. But I kind of wish I had just tons of straight rows. I want more space. I really want more space. Are you going to look for more space? Um, if I have time, I'm hoping that somebody will step forward and 
say, hey, I've got a half acre over here or an acre over there that's flat. Don't give me a hillside. Kind of put a little <laughs> little bit here, a little bit there, and then you have a lot yeah. in the big, I, in the I big city. I just want one more growing ground. Although, you know, back to the straight rows, it is kind of nice that you have this very diverse uh, crop. It's not a, it's definitely not a monocrop there. No. Yeah, so, uh-uh. you know, um, you're, I mean, do you, how do you deal with pests and things like that? Well, we don't really have any. Um, this is, this is what's so weird. Um, you know, you, you'll always get a few little aphids here and there. We control the ants using, um, uh, sugar, boric acid and, and, uh, sugar, water and boric acid. That's pretty much it. And so the sugar, the sugar attracts the ants, and then they'll take up the boric acid, and it'll go back to the nests. So because the ants are what's con- what's farming the aphids, so we control the ants that way. Um, the only other pest is gophers, but gophers won't take out everything; they'll just take out a little bit. Um, so we do trap the gophers. Sorry, <laughs> a dead gopher is a good gopher. There you go. I mean it. it- <laughs> It says something, too, that you're growing in the city. You probably have fewer problems than you do if you were in an agricultural area growing I don't have to worry about what people around me are doing. Yeah, there's that, too. Uh, It would be awful to be certified organic and then have spray come in. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be awful. Do you think we'll see more uh, flower operations like you in other parts of the country or even the world that are growing in urban areas and and selling flowers? Oh, definitely. Watch out what's happening in Baltimore. Keep an eye on Baltimore. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The city there is uh, working on... Um, I just chatted with a lady just this week. Um, they are working on using vacant lots as for flower farming. Now, why flowers? I don't know, but... Because nobody can object to flowers. Yeah, yeah. Or at least most people Well, I also, going back to why flowers, also when you look at a square foot, when you have a small space, you have to look at each square foot and think about revenue per square foot. Yeah. And flowers, you know, if you do the math, you'll get more per square foot with cut flowers than you would out of beets and carrots, you know. Mm. So you'd have to be producing a lot of beets to match what you can get with flowers in a small space. And then you mentioned it before, but there's also the, the the contamination problem in urban areas where flowers is not much of a you know not as big a problem. You you're not going to eat it, right? Um, anything you want to say? Any last questions, Kelly, for mm-hmm. for Tara here, or anything you want to say in conclusion? Anything we didn't ask? Um, look out for um, a hashtag Los Angeles Grown. Um, you know, uh, support your local flower farmers and. Um, Oh, well, yeah, of course. We should ask how do people, how do people find you? What's your website? Oh, and so, you already mentioned you're at the Hollywood Farmer's Market on Sunday. Tell us a little bit about uh, your hashtags, your Twitter, <laughs> your Facebook, <laughs> how, how people stuff. get in touch with you. Um, yeah, so our uh, website is silverlakefarms.com. We'll, we'll be revamping the website soon to, to show more of our wedding work. Um, so there'll be some changes on our website, but silverlakefarms.com and then... Um, we we do a lot on Instagram, uh, so it's such a visual thing, you know, flowers. So that's just Silver Lake Farms on Instagram, and then for hashtags, um, uh, slow flowers, um, cagrone, 
Um, CA grown. CA grown. Do the other states have, like, is there like a PA grown? Do you know? I or? don't know. I actually don't know. For people in California, like, we're, look for the CA grown label mm-hmm. um, when you're, you know, even if you are supermarket shopping, mm-hmm. at least that's better than buying, for, you know, and, imported and flowers. Take, take, a, take a canning jar down to your farmer's market and buy flowers and pop them straight into water so they're not out of water for too long because, you, you know, it's, you've got a finite time there. Um, of how long your flowers can stay out of water mm. and um, give them a fresh snip when you get home. Um, but yeah, support your flower farmers. <laughs> and then one last question for uh, home growers. Do you have any favorite flowers you'd suggest people grow in their own yards for, for cut flowers? Sweet peas. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Kelly and I argue about that. I love sweet peas too. It's the fragrance. You cannot replicate that fragrance um, synthetically. Like you can try, but it's not the same. And there's so many beautiful color varieties, too. There are over 200. I have a book here. <laughs> Sweet peas are, for people who haven't grown them, are, are like, they're related to the pea, right? Uh, peas have flowers. People don't know that if they've never grown peas, but these have been... I don't know. Were, pea, were sweet peas manipulated into being sweet peas, or they're no, just a no, they're just uh-uh. a wild? It's Lathyrus odoratus is the botanical. Are they? But they are related to edible peas. No, they look just like them. No, they have the I same know, the kind of leaves. The, same, the, the seed pod, looks the, yeah, the flower. Tendrils, they're yeah. like twins. Yeah, but they're not edible. Yeah, of course they're not edible, but they're they're much more. But they have they have these beautiful, colorful flowers, and they grow. Oh, they want to grow up. They want to grow up. They vine. They um, vine. They, the original is called a cupani, and it's from Sicily. Oh. So it's, very, it's a very Mediterranean, they like Mediterranean climates. Now, unfortunately with our climate, because of the difference between the daytime temperature and the night temperature, there's such a, a, yeah. a, a, a variance mm-hmm. that it encourages powdery mildew. But I just maintain, like, don't, don't let that put you off. Just focus on the bloom and that fragrance. Just close your eyes and inhale. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. Well, thank you, Tara, for being on the Root Symbol podcast. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for having thanks, me. Tara. Thanks for what you do. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on rootsimple.com. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. Thank you.